This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple, any other platform you're listening on. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Penn State Athletics, Kevin Adams, Ball State Athletics, Paul Havocott. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by an actor, producer, writer. He's worked on projects such as Friday the 13th, Part 3, The Memoriam Doc, The Spirit of Haddonfield, and Never Hike Alone, The Ghost Cut. So we got Sean Richards here with us tonight. We've got a great topic for him, too. Sean, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Appreciate that. Awesome. So check this title out. This is a little bit out of our, our uh, will well here. But uh, tonight's debate is going to be the greatest horror film with sports themes. And each film tonight has, let's say, a jock who is crucial to these films and the outcomes in the end. Uh, as always, afterwards, we're going to have a Q&A for Sean, our special guest. Uh, we'll have that at the end, as always. We're going to start out tonight with uh, Christine. Okay, we're looking at a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes here. It's released in December of 83, had a budget of $10 million, did $21 million in the box office. The premise of the movie, and I guess the link to sports, would be the, the football team, which strangely looks like the Browns. You, I, I think the movie was taking place and supposed to be in – in uh, like Rockledge, California, 1978. But we have unpopular nerd Artie Cunningham, played by Keith Gordon. By the 1958 Plymouth Furies, he's sitting in like some kind of like garden or field. And we know at the beginning of the film, it's a creepy car, kills a plant worker, seems to be haunted. Artie goes and names the car Christine. He, he kind of develops an unhealthy obsession with the car, changes his personality to the cool guy, maybe to fit the persona of the car. His jock friend, and, and sort of our sports link, Dennis Gilder, played by John Stockwell, he, he's a little bit alarmed with what, what's going on with his friend. And Buddy Reverton, who's the, the bully in the film, played by William Ostrander, he defaces Christine. The car restores itself, ends up killing off Buddy and his friend. So Dennis, and uh, who becomes kind of Arnie's girlfriend, Lee Cabot, played by Alexandra Paul, they go on a, sort of a mission to destroy Christine. There, there wasn't really any stars with this movie, Scott Bayo tried out for Arnie. Kevin Bacon ended up choosing Footloose. Uh, Brooke Shields was going to play, you know, the, the Lee character. But the filmmakers wanted to go with uh, sort of no-names, unknowns. They thought it would be better for the film and a lot cheaper, obviously. So the star of the film is really a 58 Plymouth Fury. Stephen King once said, I chose that car because it was a forgotten car. And, you know, it's, it, it is kind of – you don't really think of that. It, it went on – from Chrysler, from or from Plymouth Chrysler Corporation, for a while, it was like a full size, mid size. Nobody really thinks about this car at all. But um, so the the couple interesting things here: the film was shot in the same neighborhood that John Carpenter used in the movie Halloween. The big football scene in this, you got Dennis going to make a catch on the ball. He looks over, he sees Christine parked there with Arnie kissing his girl gets in a major collision with another player, has a real severe injury. The, none of these cars were, like, stunt-driven. There was no remote control used. They started the film like, 24 cars, ended up with three. And another funny thing was they didn't even use the motor from the car for the sounds. They used, like, the, the motor from a 1970 Mustang. So that was kind of acting, you know, for lack of a better term, too. So that's basically the movie, Christine. Uh, I know Sean's a big car guy, so... I'm hoping he kind of notices that I, I picked a car movie for him. <laughs> and and we uh, we got an email from Alexander Paul about this film 
I'm just going to add in a little here what she said. Uh, she said, you know, the set was fun and light, um, and but the hours were absolutely horrible. They were shooting at 4 a.m., and it was a really hard time for her to be chipper. And then the next week, they go back to shooting days, so it just really messed with their sleep schedule. Um, so just a little inside information there from Alexander Paul. So, Sean, let me come to you. This was definitely a different concept and scary based off of horror films from those that time period in the 70s. Your thoughts on the acting in it, but also the villain isn't a person. It's a car. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, actually, uh, I love this movie. I think it's a great movie. Um, John Carpenter's my favorite director. And, uh, you know, with all but maybe a couple that I wasn't a huge fan of, I pretty much love everything he does. It's just great. He was very versatile. He does he does do horror, and he did make his name with horror with Halloween in 78. But um, he's uh, the reason I like him so much is he whatever he takes on, he seems to really excel at it. Um, he did They Live with Roddy Piper, and I was lucky enough to meet Roddy Piper back in 86, or 86, 2006. Uh, but, yeah, I think they made that around 86. Um, and uh, the Invisible Man movie with Chevy Chase, Escape from New York, um, Starman with Jeff Bridges, like very different kind of movies, but they all execute very well. Um, so, yeah, regarding Christine, I probably watch it at least uh, once a year. Uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a classic. It's pretty timeless to me. Uh, the, the music in the film is, is really great. Um, acting, I think, is right on point. Um, actually, uh, I, I read the book by Stephen King that this movie's based on um, when I was... This goes back to the last time I saw Paul before this past uh, weekend. Uh, I was about 18 years old. I read that book on a family vacation. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of people say, oh, the book so much better than the movie well i got no offense stephen king i got two uh <laughs> i got two exceptions i liked that christine the film better uh than the book because i think it synopsizes the best parts of the book and really it clips along at a great pace and um and then jaws too i actually i like spielberg's movie better than benchley's book so again just a lot better pace um and i think if those were books were made exactly or the movies was made exactly like those books then there'd be some drag big time like a lot of detail in those um so yeah and actually my stepdad's cousin is good friends with uh william ostrander he uh was buddy he was quite the uh <laughs> quite the bad guy real real asshole he was great in that movie at uh being the, the big prick um and uh <laughs> Stu Charno actually I met Stu and um back in 2005 my uh, girlfriend at the time and I went to Stu's house hung out a little bit he was an interesting guy he's one of Buddy's sidekicks that tore apart Christine and uh the, the red-haired guy um and then uh yeah the, the locations like Paul was mentioning there with uh South Pasadena. I used to live in South Pasadena that last year. I was living out in LA and uh, that's absolutely correct. Uh, I think they shot a lot of the movie all over LA, but 
Artie's house is in South Pasadena. It's like literally walking distance from the Myers house and all the Halloween locations from the original Halloween. And, uh, but actually I have a 71 Jeep and I used to take that to my mechanic in Irwindale, which is literally probably half a mile from where uh, Arnie used to keep his car because he could keep it at the house. And that's now been, you know, that movie was filmed in 82, came out in 83. Um, you know, um, it's it's been since demolished and it's like a nice newer style industrial park now. It's But there's still a bunch of auto stuff, older auto, like, it's an auto district. I don't know, with the older mechanic buildings and all kinds of stuff over there in Irwindale. So anyway, great movie. Um, and by the way, Paul, I was going to tell you this earlier because you were talking about uh, that Back to the Future, or not Back to the Future, the Christine engine sounding, uh, it was a different motor and a car for that, you know, to give it that sound in the movie, the bitchin' motor sound well back to the future did the same thing mm. um that I've, I've heard of delorean in real life and they're i mean they're quiet it's like a dust buster driving by you Let, let's move on to our second film uh we're gonna go final destination and this is the first final destination because i know there was five of them and uh, i know that the fourth one was actually called the final destination so <laughs> a little <laughs> bit final confusing. final and it wasn't even the final. So it was, it was one after <laughs> yeah. that because it did so well in the theaters. But uh, yep. it came out in 2000, a budget of $23 million, went on to gross $112.9 million, spawned four sequels. Technically, one was a prequel, uh, but you didn't know that till the end of the fifth movie where it actually, the two people who survived end up on the plane that crashes in the first movie that started it all. So that was kind of ironic. Um, but... Um, the film won the Saturn Award for Best Horror Film. It also won and was nominated for several other awards. It ranked number 46 on Bravo's 100 Scariest Moments, and the plane crash depicted has made many lists of top scares uh, throughout the years. And plane crashes are always pretty scary. The one in Castaway always got me, like it makes me think twice about flying. But uh, this one was, was pretty well done, uh, especially the way some of the seats were sucked out the side of the window there in the, in the airplane there but so the film stars uh devon sawa i won't say that right ali larder who became pretty famous after this film sean william scott who's obviously most known as stifler in the american pie series <laughs> and uh yeah without giving away too much of the film devon's character alex he has a premonition the plane's gonna crash and kill everyone on board um and this causes a fight with some of uh, with the one of the jocks who's on who wants to go to Paris with his girlfriend is pretty much just planning having a few months of sex with his girlfriend in Paris. Uh, so he's kicked off the plane. Seven people are kicked off the plane in total. One of the teachers as well. The plane explodes uh, after takeoff, and everyone on board died. So the seven who remain, they had cheated death, and now death is coming for them. So that is kind of the premise of the whole movie and the whole series in general. Um, I do like the the sports aspect of the movies we're talking about tonight, there's not an actual sports scene, but the the jock in this film is crucial to a lot of it. Because one, they don't get off the plane without the fight happening, which he caused. So I like this aspect. It digs into the mentality and stress of having to be the best athlete in school because that was the type of attitude that he had, uh, that, you know, he's right. No one's going to dictate his life. 
Um, this jock, this guy's played by Kerr Smith. He, he's your typical high school bully, in my opinion. And it, in a lot of films, the 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 head jock is usually a bully, and and this fits the T to that. Um, and his life just it depends on anger, um, and the fact that the character Carter feared Alex for not having control of his own life. So it's really a, a mental film as far as that goes, if you if you look at it. And just something neat about the film: um, most of the characters are named after horror film directors, producers, and actors. So I thought that was kind of neat. So that's my <laughs> film. I'm not going to – I'm going to be honest. I don't think it's the best tonight, and I've never done that in this is 80th or 80th episode, I think. I've never said mine isn't the best. <laughs> I don't think it's the best tonight, but I'm throwing it out there. Sean, your, your, your thoughts on this film? I, I, I know that you told me you'd seen it, and um, just – it also was kind of – different because it, it I don't want to say changed the way they were doing horror films but at the time in the 90s most of the things were just slasher flicks and this was kind of a different concept of like the whole mental process of death and things like that so your thoughts on the film yeah I really liked it um I I liked and I still kind of I miss it today it seems like you know it seems like a a, a remake runaway train for the last 15 years or so I like the original concept behind it, and I wish that was more of a thing um, in the last X amount of years. Um, I thought it was great. It was well done. Uh, acting was good. It was suspenseful. Like the beginning, the first half especially, I mean, there was a, um, there was a feeling of like realism to it that it felt like you know and then later in the movie the second half it kind of got a little bit okay you know that's yeah. following them and all these things are setting up to become you know you see things happening randomly and yeah it's death doing death's thing um i i did have a little bit of trivia that might uh blow your mind a little bit about this movie if you're interested yeah yeah, yeah go for it so i was about 10 years ago i was doing a, a paper about the airline industry and one of the topics was about airline crashes so i had to do a little bit of research about that and i found out that this movie is based on a real flight um yeah uh and so there was a french class from eastern pennsylvania i believe and they were going, they were senior class, and they were going to Paris. And, um, and of course, a lot of other people, too. It was, a, it was a big airliner. It was TWA Flight 800. And um, it was flying out of New York. And it was upon the uh, Long Island area, you know, somewhere over there when it exploded and um basically now this is what's pretty jacked up about it um if you watch like youtube videos about it it's it's i mean i saw a lot of you know of these videos talking about these various flights that was the most brutal one i saw i was like wow that's just absolutely terrible that's horrible like and and what happened during that flight like it was like it's going up and the explosion happens and then it knocks out the bottom part of this plane 
the instant explosion, you know, the, the whiplash kills the pilots instantly. And then it cracks around the fuselage because there's a hole. And then the nose falls off. And then the whole plane with everybody else in there, because this was at the front, just then it continues to veer up. So now there's no controls. And then it just goes up for a while. I mean, and then just plummets to the ocean. Like, I mean, can you imagine being somebody in that? Like, I, that's just insane. That, that wasn't like, oh, instant, okay, it's over. No, that was like, you're talking, I don't know how many, maybe a few minutes, maybe five. I don't know how high up they were. I mean, that's insane. And at first, they said that, and there's still videos out there that say that the spark underneath and there's, there were old, it was like old wiring and the fuel caused the explosion. But for a long time, people were contesting that because right along Long Island is a Navy base where they test missiles out of there. And they said this was just so, so random and the plane checked out. It was, they checked it out. It's, there was what, you know, they didn't see anything. So they fought it and fought it and fought it. And I think about 20 years, so you're talking maybe a couple years ago, they finally admitted that one of their test missiles hit that fuselage at the bottom wow. Oh, wow. wow that's some inside information love that thank you <laughs> good stuff yeah all right that's crazy but yeah really good movie i like it i might watch it tonight i watched it last night just to catch up because it's been a while so let's uh let's move on to the faculty all right the faculty came out in 1998 uh this film had a pretty cool cast uh, a few young stars who made their you know, made names for themselves later on, like Elijah Wood, uh, Usher. You know, Usher was big in the RB world, but this was his first film. Uh, Josh Harnett, uh, Jordana Brewster. I'd also had some established stars like Salma Hayek and John Stewart. Uh, so things start out on the football field. Uh, coach Joe Willis, who's a fiery football coach, he's reaming out his whole team for bad play and everything. Um, he's a coach for Harrington High. So he just finished up practice, and he notices something strange on the field, so he kind of kneels down to investigate it. And this sets up the drama for the rest of the film. Like, what is this thing? Because uh, Coach Willis ends up changing. His whole persona, his whole attitude, everything changes. And initially, it looks like he's going on a killing spree. Uh, but then you you eventually you realize that he's actually adding people, uh, mostly the faculty at first, to some sort of zombie fold. Um, so, meanwhile, the rest of the main characters uh, are kind of set up in a manner reminiscent of The Breakfast Club. You know, you have your jock, you have your introvert, you have your bad boy, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, one interesting subplot is uh, with, with Stan Rosado, who is the uh, football team's quarterback. And he goes kind of on this, um, this little feel where he laments about the pressure of, of how everyone, you know, kind of what Mike was referring to, everyone needs him to be perfect and wants him to play. And, and he's kind of put up on this pedestal, but nobody really appreciates or expects anything out of him academically or any other way uh, other than athletically. Um, you know, and he actually, you know, in, in the plot there, he actually decides he wants to quit the team. And so that's, that's a big deal to everybody involved. Um, and there's another fun scene, uh, with football involved, where at this point you've got a fully infected zombie team, and uh, they're just knocking their opponents in the next week. I mean, there's some vicious hits in this, and when their opponents are down, 
you know, pretty much like KO'd, then they're they're actually infecting, uh, you know, the other team with uh, uh, with this whole zombie thing. So, you know, as it turns out, you know, all these people becoming zombified. I'm not sure if that's a word, but uh, you find out. It, it sounds hilarious when you're telling us to fly. <laughs> You know? Right, <laughs> but you find out it's because of an alien life form, um, and so that that's that's kind of interesting. And then uh, you know, eventually, Casey Connor, Elijah Wood, is able to defeat the Queen of the Aliens. You know, thus preparing him later to save Middle Earth. All right, that comes a few years later, but uh, anyways, this film, you know, it's become like a cult classic. It cost him fifteen million dollars to make, um, and then. They've made $63 million from it, so it was certainly a success. Also, had a pretty cool soundtrack. Um, you had a lot of really cool uh, classic rock hits, and you had some alternative hits from the late 90s there. Uh, so that is The Faculty. So, Sean, with this one, we entered the, the zombie genre, so to speak. Even though it ends up being aliens, it's still technically zombie. Um, also, Brian mentioned Josh Hartnett, Jordana Brewster. Um, he did... He mentioned Elijah Wood, too. Elijah Wood was kind of a big child actor. But specifically, Hardnett and Brewster, like, this kind of bolstered their careers after this film. And if you look at horror in general, a lot of big actors kind of got their start in a horror film. I mean, we got Jamie Lee Curtis, Sissy Spacek, yeah. another one. Uh, yep. You know, how, do, how does one of those movies bolster your career into becoming, like, a, a lead Hollywood actor, in your opinion? Well, that's, that's the thing is, you know... <laughs> History has said that Hollywood really frowns on horror. Uh, you know, there's no category for it, any kind of awards show. Right. You know, that you would see televised. And it's really unfortunate because it's the basis for a lot of these studios making their name. Look at Universal Studios in the 1930s. You had, you know... Bella Lugosi, uh, Lugosi of Dracula, you had Boris Karloff Frankenstein, you had the Wolfman, the Mummy, I mean, all these monster serials that were the basis for Universal getting its footing. And it's, it's, it is really crazy. And yeah, a lot of actors do start in horror. And it's, you know, and then they will go into something else. Yeah, Jamie Lee, you mentioned. I don't know if you know that Kevin Bacon had a, uh, it was like an, um, you know, a supporting role in Friday the 13th. Right. Um, and for a long time, he didn't, I don't think he acknowledged that because he wanted to do other things. He didn't want to get pigeonholed with horror, which that does happen too. Like, so I, it's kind of a double-edged sword. So I can kind of see why they would shy away, even though they're trying to get going. Because uh, you can get stuck in that. I've, I've seen... Uh, a number of actors get stuck in one genre, probably not because they wanted to, but they also wanted to, to work. So what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, it's horror definitely, uh, you know, I think it deserves more attention than, you know, it's been getting snubbed for what? What are the Universal movies? Like 80 years, 90 years ago? Like, and it hasn't really gotten anything since. And there's so many classics. There's so many great ones. Um, and I was an 80s horror kid, so, of course, I, so I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and your thoughts on the film? Yeah, I like The Faculty. I think it's a good movie. Um, between the three so far, I, I'd say it's my least favorite of the three we've talked about, but that's in no way saying it's, 
I don't like it or it's not a good movie. I think it's, I think it's a great movie. Again, original idea, um, something that I'm always down for, which, you know, seems fairly rare nowadays. Um, yeah. And, you know, the thing that <laughs> you're talking, when he was talking about that movie, uh, the things I remember about that movie uh, were Josh Hartnett had a pretty bitching car. And uh, I think it was like a Nova, maybe. Uh, black, jacked up, like a 70s Nova. Um, yeah, yeah. I think. Maybe that or Chevelle. Anyway. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it was, what made me laugh was the, uh, you know, because, uh, what's the actor? Uh, Robert Patrick, the coach. Yeah, the okay. T-1000. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think he was, he was really primarily known for that before he did this. And, so he was definitely cued in on being a serious character. So, you know, he comes to this movie and he's a serious coach, you know, he's not jacking around and he's not a very nice guy. From what I remember, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, and then I think, yeah, he was talking about how the alien things or, or what have you take over and they become like super jacked and they're rocking other teams in the field. And like this one hit, and all of a sudden Patrick's like, you know, he's just like totally changed his character. He's like, whoa! And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he's an alien now or something like that. And I was like, oh man, I, I just remember that one scene where he reacted that way. I was like, so not Patrick like at the time, which was great. That was funny. Well, let's, let's move on to our final film tonight. If you can't see it behind Kevin, it's going to be Carrie. Yeah, this is definitely. I think the scariest movie that we're talking about tonight got 93% on Rotten Tomatoes directed by Brian De Palma. Screenplay was Lawrence Cohen and it's based on Stephen King's 1974 novel, Carrie. The film features Piper Laurie, uh, Amy Irving, Betty Buckley, William Catt, and Travolta in some of the supporting roles. Uh, you got Sissy Spacek. She plays the main character, uh, Carrie White, who's a, a shy 16-year-old who is mocked, bullied at school, which... We all know that happened back then. It still happens today. Kind of brings it to home for a lot of people. Uh, she lives just with her mother, who's, you know, a very religious person. Uh, tries to shelter Carrie from everything. Uh, Carrie goes through some, you know, things throughout the school year. Uh, but she gets invited to prom by the jock of the, of the movie. Uh, he's like a letter. He's, he's a letterman in, like, every sport for the school. Uh, very popular. Um, and then the popular kids that he's friends with, including his girlfriend, uh, they get Carrie voted as prom queen to get her up on stage because they wanted to basically ridicule her, make fun of her. And, and they ended up dumping uh, pig's blood on her uh, when she was receiving the crown. And this set Carrie off on a rampage. Uh, she started basically using telekinesis powers, um, killing and locking all the classmates in, in the gymnasium where the prom was being held. Um, set the school ablaze you see her leaving the school as all of her classmates are dying um she ends up going home her mom tries to comfort her um and helps her bathe and then ends up stabbing carrie and carrie didn't take too kindly to this <laughs> and ends up killing her mother uh <laughs> basically levitating uh her mom and throwing a bunch of sharp objects at her crucifying her um so you know it's the first of one of more than 100 movies uh, based on Stephen King's works. It was released in 1976. Uh, Carrie became very successful, grossed over $33 million, only had a $1.8 million budget, received two oh. nominations at the Academy Awards uh, for Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, 
Critics and audience members, they cite it as one of the best films based on a Stephen King publication. Uh, it was ranked 86 on Empire's list of 500 greatest movies of all time. Uh, it was ranked 15th on Entertainment Weekly's list of 50 best high school movies. Um, and then the prom scene, it's cute that Michael's movie was ranked 46 on Bravo's uh, Scariest Moments because the prom scene was actually ranked 8th uh, in the 100 scariest uh, movie moments for Bravo. Uh, there was a sequel. There was also a remake of this movie. It was also a television film. Uh, so it definitely had a, a, an impact and a legacy that carried on. Oh, good one. That's a good one. Get it? Carried on? <laughs> yeah. Like what I did there? <laughs> I, I think they've remade it more than once, too. And, Sean, my, my question for you on this one, well, obviously, Stephen King is like the king of, of horror, of course. But so... I thought Sissy Spacek was perfectly cast. She's cute, but not overly beautiful in this film. And she plays a very good, shy character. When I watched the remake, they put freaking uh, Chloe Grace Moretz in one of them. Like, that girl's not shy or anything. And she's certainly not going to be unpopular if you look at her. You know, and there was one other one, too, with the brunette. Like, I'm thinking, okay, this is the hottest girl in the movie. Why am I supposed to believe she's the the shy, you know, Victim, they're just yeah. not casting them right in these remakes, in my opinion. But uh, your thoughts on Sissy Spacek uh, in the film and, and on the film overall, of course, and just Stephen King, man, the, the, the king of it all, really. Um, yeah, really good movie. Uh, from what I remember of it, yeah, there's some pretty damn effed up parts in this movie. Um relevant to like teenage life and you know you, you always know about the kid that gets teased we had one throughout the years and it's just you feel bad it's like you know you don't but you know it's just it's, it's messed up um and uh yeah so she gets her uh they all get their just desserts uh she gets a little uh you know turn about his fair play with her power which is you know that's fun that's a uh, little get back there um and I think she did a, a fantastic job. You're right. She wasn't, um, you know, uh, she was per perfect for the part. Um, I, I thought, you know, she, she did a, a fantastic job. And uh, it was um, it's funny because I think it was William Catt, who was uh, America's uh, greatest American hero from that TV show, the, the buffoon <laughs> Superman, yep. who was playing the, the Jack boyfriend. Uh, and that was yeah, so that was classic. And then Travolta's in it, too. And uh, this was before, uh, I think, the Saturday Night Fever, which uh, was, that was something else. And his girlfriend was, uh, I think, Nancy Allen, who was in uh, RoboCop. And uh, saw Murphy get his killed. Uh, but, yeah, great movie. Um, really liked it a lot. I like, you know, it's you hit on two of, probably two of my favorite King movies. Um and the thing is about, yeah, you asked about Stephen King. I, you know, the guy is, the guy is just insanely creative. Um, he's like, I, I've got a background in behavioral health and uh, I've, uh, to come up with the stuff that he does, um, it's almost like controlled schizophrenia. It's like he's he's an everyday Joe, or you could talk to him and still be he's in the realm here, and but he and he's able to create all this stuff, which is amazing. 
like all these stories, all this detail, like all these books. It's just, and his books are not, they're not small books. Uh, they're pretty thick books. And yeah. Uh, like, yeah. So very in-depth, uh, very creative. Um, I'd have to say uh, my sister and mine's favorite horror movie of the 80s. And one of our favorite movies in general was based on a short story by him called Cycle of the Werewolf, which became the 1985 movie Silver Bullet, which had uh, Gary Busey as the drunken uncle, uh, the drunk, drunken good times uncle, you know, and uh, the main character was played by, God bless him, Corey Haim, when he was like 13, and he was like uh, a paraplegic, and his uncle builds like this, you know, hot rod uh, wheelchair, three, three, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, like a three-wheeler for him, and, uh, and then there's a werewolf around town, and people are dying, and it was just, that movie is, I love that movie, <laughs> but, um, yeah, Carrie's great, um, great movie, uh, you know, my sister watched it once, uh, because I was like, this movie's really freaky in parts of the call, I think, I don't think you should watch it or whatever, and her and her friend watched it, and for whatever reason, she told me later, yeah, we laughed throughout the whole movie, I'm like, were you guys, like, smoking something or <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like okay I mean there is some parts that do strike as goof kind of goofy comedy a little bit a little bit you know there's just these little things in the movie you're like I don't know you know where she's pulling the cord and the, the blood's teetering and it's got that noise oh my god and the mom too like some people I could see how some people like she's a real nut but if she does, she's so over the top about it. Some people might snicker, I guess. But to me, it just depends on what kind of person you are and how you take that. I, I took it as, wow, this lady's really disturbed person. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, our uh, shout outs tonight before our vote, Jeeper Creepers 2 and the Cheerleader. So let's move into our vote. Brian, you're my upper corner. Can't pick your own, guys. All right, well, I, when I watched all these films, I mean, they're, some of them kind of, you know, were, were scary, but I, I don't think anything really kind of put fear into my heart the way Carrie did. I mean, and then that one really, that one really touched home, too, as far as I mean, anybody that ever went through any kind of bullying. This is almost like a cool revenge kind of hero movie, too, because it's like she has the power to get back at them, you know, because, like, you know, if you're getting bullied and there's a lot of times, that, you know, the, the victim doesn't have any power to do anything. You're, you know, you feel so powerless. And, and this kind of gives you that feeling, too. So it's, it's just you get multiple layers of, of, of feelings and consciousness from this. So that, that's why I'm going to go with Carrie. Paul? Yeah, if I can't do Christine, I'll stick with Stephen King and, and do Carrie. And really, in full disclosure, that, that movie is too scary for me to watch all the way through. I can't uh, handle it, but um, I'll, it's it definitely epitomizes like what a horror film is, like a super scary one. My movie was going to be like PG. It wasn't scary enough, and they said that they wanted to add F words into it, and that it took a lot of criticism for that. That's the only reason it's an, it's a R-rated is because all the F words. Paul, so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna agree with you, man. I I can't I can't <laughs> sit through Carrie like. The, the religious undertones are just too much for me, for one. It's but, a bit scary movie. Yeah, it, it, it's it's messed up. Uh, and uh, 
So I am going to vote for Carrie. Uh, Paul, I do want to give you a shout out though. I, Chris, Christine's a fantastic. Christine's movie. awesome, man. Yeah, it, I, you know, I put it, I put it up there, but I, if I, yeah. I, I truly believe Carrie's the scariest. Sean, I didn't even remember this, but in in Christine, the the jock drove a '69 Charger. How cool is that? That wasn't the star of the film, but you got your dream car, isn't it? But well, actually, yeah, he has a. It was a '68 because it yeah. has round lights on the um, on the on the rear. It's the only difference. Oh, that, and then the uh, the divider in the front was. The yeah, no front. divider in the front. Yeah. yeah, the uh, the Duke boys, the General mm-hmm. Lee was the '69. Yeah. Um, but hey, you know what? I, I'm I'm not going to be picky here. I, I I take either one. <laughs> Kevin, go ahead. Um, yeah, out, out of the remaining three, because uh, I can't vote for Carrie. Um, actually, I, I really like Christine. I, that movie actually kind of scared me a little bit too. Um, just the way the dude acted when he was around his car, like it was it was kind of messed up. So I'm going to go. How for you Christine. act around your Durango? <laughs> huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> So, Sean, we come to you for your vote. Well, so we're voting for the scariest or the one we like the most? Scariest. Scariest. Hmm. Damn. Well, shit. I think we're going to have to go uh, four for four on this. It it would be Carrie for me. Uh, I did not take it. I did not watch that movie with the same... uh, hilarity is my sister i was i found it very disturbing with uh, maybe a few funny parts thrown in but overall especially the mom geez wow but uh yeah piper laurie what a nut she was great um but yeah like just a little uh shout out to paul's movie though if i had to pick an overall favorite of the four it would have been christine and a little trivia also thrown out there uh, about that movie was they got as many Furies as they could, but there was also another car called the uh, Plymouth Belvedere that was very, very similar. And they used Belvedere's and they just modified them for scenes with the Fury. And uh, actually, my grandpa had a, uh, a 58 red Belvedere, and I thought it was a Fury for the longest time. And it's such a minor difference between the two. And I, for a while, I was like, shit. I was like, wow, I've been to so many car shows. I've never seen this car. And here's like a 1960 picture my grandpa has of this ride he had back then. And he actually had Christine. But I thought it was that. It, it looks like almost identical, but it was actually a Belvedere. Very oh. slight difference. Just uh, on the, the chrome side paneling there. Well, it's four votes for Carrie, one for Christine. So the win goes to Kevin. We got one question each, guys, so pick out your best one. Kevin, you won the show. You get first question for our guest, Sean. Yeah, just, uh, you know, all the different, you know, parts that you've had, what was your favorite, um, what was your favorite role? Hmm. Well, I guess, you know, you couldn't, it would, it would have to be a role that was written with you in mind or me in mind actually like that's like the biggest compliment being an actor and I got to know um uh a group of people when I was living out there and um this one of these individuals is a writer and he wrote this short film and uh it's actually you know 
he, he wrote me as the lead villain and it's basically like Dungeons and Dragons gone wrong. Like it's a, a version of it that's from a different time. Some, you know, it, it, you know, and it's super, you know, it's, it's uh independent. Um, and, but it's really, I like it. It's a great short. It's about, you know, 12 minutes. Um, and uh, that's, I think that was, yeah, I love that because, you know, I, I, um, that was probably the most rewarding too, because I had to learn on the fly about this game, Dungeons and Dragons, because I'm, I'm the lead bad guy in it. And I, I'm supposed to be the really serious one. They called them the DM, the dungeon master or yeah. something like that. And I'd never played this game in my life. So I'm going and learning this as we're shooting it. And these rest of the people know about this game. I don't know about this game, but you know, I'm supposed to be the guy that knows everything about this game. So I'm just like, okay, you know, and they're telling me the lines and, and I'm like, they're defining stuff. So I'm doing the parts as I'm learning the stuff. And then uh, a few people have seen it since then. And um, they, you know, they complimented me on, you know, it's, I was believe, very, very believable in that. And I, I appreciate that. That's, that's a huge compliment. So tell us about your project, the Friday the 13th part three, the memoriam documentary and, Tell us about it and where people can find it to watch. Um, yeah, it's, uh, well, it, it started as, um, well, first of all, you can, you can see it on YouTube for free. You just enter in Friday the 13th part three, the memoriam documentary, uh, little wordy on the title there, but you know, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. It's, uh, I think it's about 195,000 views now, so it's got a steady stream of people that really like it. And it basically the idea for the project came about um, because I had met Richard Brooker uh, in 2006 and um, he, uh, it wasn't a great initial meeting. Uh, he had, uh, you know, I was pretty stoked to meet him. He was the first guy to ever play Jason ever to don the hockey mask in part three, the one in 3d in 1982. And uh, I had been to like a 25th anniversary get together. They had and they had all these people from all throughout the series at this building, this little building, Hollywood and Highland. And, you know, you got to meet a lot of people. And there was even a lot of people there from part three, but Richard wasn't there. And I'm like, damn, the original Jason with like, that's too bad. But I was living in Florida at the time. And then he went to a thing in Orlando, which that was a really, it was like the like Orlando FX something event or something. And it was such a crazy mix of people. Like, that was kind of fun. Uh, Robert England, who's Freddie, was there. George Romero, who's passed on now. Uh, Godfather of Zombies. Tony Moran, Halloween. Richard Brooker. Uh, Peter Mayhew, who was Chewbacca. He was there. I met him. I'm, like, almost 6'4". And, yeah, pretty pretty big hands. This guy shook my hand. It was like a baseball mitt around my hand. Like, <laughs> He was just huge, but super nice guy. Uh, and David Carradine was there, and like not even six months later, he was dead. Like I got, I met David, and he was probably one of the most in intimidating people I ever met. But uh, yeah, so I, I uh, yeah, hung out. I met Richard, and then I met him a second time, but I was at a different event. And you know, he, he, <laughs> I was just done for the day doing what I was doing, and I walked by his table. And he's got some pretty cool pictures from part three. And I'm just checking him out. And, you know, he kind of is like, um, 
I look up at him. He's looking at me. He's like, do I know you? Have we met? You know, he's like, I'm terrible with names, but I never forget a face. And uh, I was like, uh, yeah, we met a couple months ago. And he was like, a couple months ago. Like, oh, oh, no, that wasn't Orlando, was it? I was like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, it's like, uh, hey, I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I was jet lagged. I'm from England. I just got back from a trip. I was not feeling good. Um, I should actually cancel, but I had a commitment to the show. And I just, uh, my mind was on something else at the time. And I was kind of scrambled that day. So I, I really, I, I apologize. So, um, and he's like, uh, so I was like, wow. I was like, that's pretty cool. I was like, wow, to, uh, to remember that. And, you know, he's, he apologized. I'm like, wow. Um, and then uh, he's like, hey, you want to you wanna take a picture? You want to get a picture together? And I was like, sure, Richard, that sounds good. And then that's the picture of me and him uh, in 06 there. That's the one that appears in the documentary. Um, you know, it's just I've met a number of people in, in film throughout the years. And, you know, that was really big of him. And also, too, more to the point, that was something that was special about him was nobody's ever said this to me before ever he's like you know to the fans you know you see like uh you know you want to ask stories about the making of friday part three and he's like well sure i'd you know i'd love to tell you about that or this or whatever he's like but what about you what do you like what do you do what what makes you 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 know and nobody in film has ever asked that it's always about well everybody's coming for me you know, everybody's coming to meet me and get a picture with me and sign something for me to sign something. It's like, he's the only person I've ever met that's ever showed like that interest about people that want to come meet him. So um, that's, that's, that was special and unique. And then, um, you know, partied that night. Actually, that was at a hotel in Cleveland and the, uh, the bright transformer blew outside. So it's a blacked out hotel in Cleveland at this event and people are going room to room and everybody's drinking with candlelit rooms. And it was a weird, fun party night. And then um, I saw him a, a final time after I got out of the fire Academy in Tampa. And, um, you know, he just came up on, you know, hit me on the back. Hey man, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing Richard? He's like, good, good. He's like, Hey, uh, you know, after I'm done signing and doing pictures for the day, how about uh, we go uh, grab a drink? I was like, sure, sounds good. So we, we shot the breeze for about 20 minutes. And um, he said, I got I to gotta go make an appearance over here. But hey, it was great to talk to you. I was like, hey, good talking to you too. And take care. And that was about it. And then, um, and then about six years later, I heard that he suddenly passed away at 58 from a friend. And so I had this idea to, uh, I, I used to do location visits and um, I did some photography and video visiting the part three locale on a trip to California in uh, 03. And then like a year or two, about a year later, no, a few years later, uh, some trespassers had snuck into that cabin that's featured in the film and uh, inadvertently burn it to the ground. And, uh, you know, so I thought, well, maybe I can share with what I have, you know, the, the location that was, how it was, video, photography, and maybe a little one or two minute video 
uh, for the fans that can't visit it how it is anymore or how it was and dedicated to Richard at the end. And then life just took me West because I was, I'm from Indiana and I was living in Indiana at the time I had the idea and when Richard passed. And then um, I ended up at getting a job in LA and a lot of those cast members from that 82 film still lived in the area. And I told them about what I was doing and it was kind of a tribute uh, or story about Richard and uh, in the making of part three, which actually part three dethroned E.T. for one weekend in 1982. Uh, I think E.T. was dominant for like four or five months in 82 and it knocked it off that weekend. So that's something to be said, I guess. Um, but um, yeah, it was a if you could ever have a chance to see that movie in 3D, it's not the typical red and blue glasses 3D. It was a new kind of 3D uh, style at the time. And it was really, you know, cutting edge for its time. And, and if you can see it in real 3D, the way it was filmed, it, it actually is pretty cool. Um, so, but yeah, so it just went along and I ended up in LA and I got a hold of about four cast members from the movie he was in to talk about him and the making of the film. And, um, and then I got um, various other people that were friends of Richard's that also are probably recognizable to uh, horror fans to share about him. Um, you know, God bless him. Eric Brandon's gone now. He's in the documentary that was uh, Richard's best friend. He's passed. Um, and uh, Louis Lazera, a huge shout out to Louis, who he had a, a, an amazing career as a makeup effects artist. I mean, his best friend was Roy Scheider from Jaws, um, Chief Brody. And then, you know, the appliances and stuff. And he's worked on Arnold and he just passed away. I don't know. I think it was about seven months ago. He gave us some great behind the scenes photography for it. It was just a, a really just knocking on doors and doing the best I could do to make this as good as it could be. Cause you know, I ended up in LA. I didn't expect that. And now I want to make this as good as it possibly can be. Cause I'm in the area to do that. So and that's, and then what, what, it, you know, edit it together and, you know, and see how it, you know, and it is what it is. I was trying for an hour length on it, but you know, you, you, you kind of just put together what you got with the flow and it, it turns out the time it turns out it's about 38 minutes. Brian, go ahead. Um, were, were there any movies that you watched, you know, maybe in your childhood or early in your you know, young adulthood that really inspired you to want to get into the movie business? Well, I think it was just this whole experience. And I think, uh, Paul and, and anybody else that, you know, that grew up during the 80s with with the movies that we had then, um, you know, going with the folks or going, you know, with your friends. I mean, it was just an explosion of classic films from that decade. I mean, you, you always got your classics in every decade, but I think the 80s really outdid themselves. I mean, or, or that decade itself is just crazy packed with just classic movies and then and and a lot of which we're seeing today that um you know are getting remade and whatever it's like uh so i i'd say that experience you know um just going to the movies with uh with my dad um and and enjoying this uh, what we didn't know what adventure we were going to be getting into but whatever adventure it is it's going to be good it's going to be it's going to be a new story and it's going to be well done. You know, it's like you, you could almost bank on that for pretty much anything from the 80s is going to be good to some degree. 
And I, I just, I was just a, a, you know, a kid from Indiana and I'm just like, I don't know how I could do it, but somehow someday I want to be a part of it. And, um, I, I, you know, life through the way it worked out, just put me in that area. Um, you know, and so, um, I was actually looking at the Seattle area when I was in Indianapolis and then I got a chance to, um, to get going, um, or to give it a shot in Arizona. My aunt and uncle live out there and a big shout out to them and a thank you to them because that's actually what helped the documentary to take that next step to become more than just like a two minute video with pictures and video and then dedicate to Richard at the end. Um, you know, and then I ended up in LA landing the job, uh, and it was just, um, yeah. So I, and then once I got out there, I, I was pretty much working on the documentary outside of work. I was working, you know, a day job, nine to five, um, you know, Monday through Friday. And then outside of that, I would work on, you know, uh, just knocking on doors, trying to get, um, you know, interviewees for it. Um, people were suggesting people. And once the dominoes started to fall, as far as we get one person and this, uh, one person knows another person. And then this other person knows, you know, like they, they had a, like maybe a, a very faint contact from a movie. that was like 30 some years before, about 30 years before. Um, and it, it just, I just kept trying to make, you know, and then after that, I just kind of, uh, after it was in post-production, I started doing independent projects acting out there. And then that last six or seven months out there, I was self-booking as an extra for uh, TV shows. I did about four or five a week. Uh, and I've met some pretty, pretty, um, pretty great actors during that time. I, you know, working on, uh, and then some of those, see, as an extra too, you just do it to get a consistent check so you can pay your rent uh, as an extra. Um, but you don't ever expect it to be like in focus because that's the thing about an extra is they're always in the background and it's always slightly blurry because the camera's on your main actors. But there's a couple couple times I, I got, you know, I lucked out and I got featured is what it's called when it's in focus, when you're a featured actor um, as an extra. So that was cool. Like that season two finale of Westworld. And I got to, you know, shoot the breeze with Ed Harris I've always liked Ed Harris. I thought it was, you know, it was awesome to meet him. Uh, true, truly just a professional, super good vibe guy. I mean, he was in A Beautiful Mind. He was in uh, The Abyss, um, The Rock with Sean Connery. Great actor. Um, and then others, too. So, yeah, to, sorry, I, that's kind of a long-winded answer there. Um, just growing up in the 80s and wanting to be a part of it as a kid is the short answer. <laughs> Paul finishes out. Well, you left a voicemail for me as Sylvester Stallone, and uh, you seem to have sort of an unhealthy obsession with Wilford Brimley. Uh, which one's your? <laughs> it's, it's, you... Damn it, the pull-out therapy. Ah. Yeah. You. So anyway, give us a, a brief. Uh, which Which one's your best, or is it one I'm not thinking of? You actually look like you could do a Sean Connery, but maybe I'm just judging you based on your face. 
Well, yeah, Connery's on the voiceover reel. It's, uh, you know, it's, what did I say? I kind of made up, like, short little stint commercials for the voiceover reel just for them to something to say. Uh, so it was like Russian standard original vodka. Oh, that's good. Oh, it gives me chills. <laughs> that's, it's from Russia with love. Show to shake it, not stood. <laughs> something like that. When I recorded that at the studio, the guy's like, Ooh, man, that's good. I can, I can, <laughs> I, can, I, can I can hear his whiskers. Yeah, it's, but it might be better than your Brimley. Yeah, the Brimley's a work in progress. I just, you know, <laughs> dia- no, diabetes. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> that's very limited. That's sort of a limited fake uh, Wolford Brimley there. Yeah. Well, you just, you know, you gotta, I don't know what in the hell, you know, what is he, diabetes and, um, What's the other one he does? Quaker Oats or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quaker Oats, yeah. Yeah, that was was great when I was a kid because he was such an intimidating actor guy, you know, and he's sitting there at the table with this kid, this random kid, and I knew it was a random kid. He's an actor kid, and it was the Quaker Oats commercials, and he's like, all right, grandson, what you do, you eat this because it sticks to your bones. (laughs) And he's like, yes, Grandpa. (laughs) And he's like, Quaker Oats, great thing to do. Cool, he's here with us. Rest in power, uh, Wilford. Rest in power. Yes, yes. Well, Absolutely. I want to I remind everybody, go to YouTube. Check out that Friday the 13th um, Memoriam documentary, part three. Check that out. Get his views up. I want to thank everybody who's been watching this show tonight. And I want to remind you to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And thank you, Sean Richards, for joining us. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So we'll see you all next time. Everybody have a great night.